If you're able, stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Colossians 1, 21 through 29. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here today to hear the, the word of the Lord, to worship with fellow believers and lift up the name of Jesus. We're continuing our study through Colossians, and we are on verses 21 through 29. And I want to cover in these verses, which there's a lot, I want to look at uh, our title today, The Hope of the Gospel and the Hope of Glory. Those two phrases are, are found in verses 23 and 27. And we're going to look at those two things and then also look at suffering uh, in the final point. So the hope of the gospel, which leads us from being alienated to being reconciled, the hope of glory, which is this mystery of the glory that we're going to look at. Ready for some good mystery? All right, what was that mystery that was opened and revealed, that hope of glory? And three, looking at suffering, and specifically joyful suffering, and how is that accomplished? <laughs> so let's, let's begin. The hope of the gospel. So we're looking at kind of our lives before Christ, and after Christ. Have you ever like done that BC and your after Christ days? And so Paul gives this example. When you start looking into the hope of the gospel and seeing what the gospel has done for us, we see these first verses. Let's hear the word of the Lord again. And you, y'all, y'all Colossians, but this is us too, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. In those two verses, can you just see an amazing compare and contrast? Uh, in the book that we're studying together in our men's Bible study uh, by Sam Storms, and it's called The Glory uh, the Hope of Glory, which is from these verses. He titled his book, and he has a hundred devotions plus on the book of Colossians. And in this uh, passage that we read, he says that alienated is an ugly word. And it's, it's very rarely even used. We might think alienated, it's the best 
English word that we have for the Greek word that was used there when the Apostle Paul said it and wrote it. Uh, and this word implies and has, you know, this more than just separated from, we think of being separated from, but it, it has to do with this breaking and being shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy with, being shut out, you know, alienated. It's, it's, it's a very deep, uh, so when you start getting into the hope of the, of the gospel, you start looking at what we once were. We might not have realized how alienated we were from, from God, how shut out we were from intimacy with him and from fellowship with him, but that's what this word brings out. Some other places in scripture where Paul uses this word is in Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. We just looked at that. That alienation does deal with that separation. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers, you see that estrangement from God, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. I mean, look at that. Without God in the world. When you were separated from Christ, you were without God. And, and so, therefore, it's this alienation. I want you to just see the depth of that. Separated, strangers, having no hope. Ephesians 4.18, he uses this word alienated also. He said, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So there's this condition that is of mind and of heart. Um, Colossians 1, the verse we're in, you were once alienated. And then the, the two verses that he uses in, in that description is hostile in mind, but these, this condition led us to, uh, these, these, to a doing of deeds, doing evil deeds. It doesn't just stay there. Their, their alienation leads to doing evil deeds. The Apostle Paul is bringing out here. So this alienation is not just in beliefs, but in our actions as well. Alienated. I agree with Sam Storms. It's an ugly word, and it's an ugly condition that we were in and Paul's bringing it out using this word and it's not used that much and so it's 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 rarity is used uh, this darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart you see that mind and heart you see that in Paul here he's talking about hostile in mind doing evil deeds we see that this life that we had before Christ was once alienated. Paul's reminding them of that. Separated from God. Separated, think about what we just studied last week, who Christ is. Separated from Christ. The image of God. The beauty of our creator, Jesus, through whom all the fullness of God dwelt. Separated from that life. Separated from that. He just explained who Christ was and then he said, but you're alien you were once alienated because you're rejoicing in who Christ is. And he goes, you were once alienated. So you just saw the glory of who Christ is. And then he, he's reminding of that once alienated place that we are separated. Not, not separated peacefully, we see in this a hostility of mind. You know, the, the apostle, we're not just neutral in things. People may say, well, I'm just kind of agnostic. They're not. You know, the scripture reads that this alienation from God is that hostility in mind. That indifference is hostile to, to who God is. So our sin is, is, is an alienation from God that's an unreconciled state. It's unreconciled, which is the, the beautiful word we're about to get to. Not just neutral, hostile in our thinking and our beliefs. Our lost condition, condition apart from Christ Jesus is one of inner ignorance, hardness of heart. Uh, so there's an underlying bitter residue. This is this, the feeling I got in studying this, just a bitterness that's, that's left there, an animosity, a rebellion in our hearts towards God. And I believe this is what Scripture's saying. If you see that with me, that's what I see there. And it's against God. It's against others in how we live out our evil deeds, our actions. And all of those are ultimately against a holy God. 
So our, our actions are actually, our, even our evil deeds are against God. David said this in his psalm and his repentance against his adultery, uh, which was against his wife and, and against uh, Uriah and, and his murder of him and all these things that were carried out against people. Uh, David cries this out in Psalm 51, 4. He says, against you, you alone, O God, have I sinned. We see this ultimate working out of these evil deeds of being against God. It's the hostility that our sinful condition has against, uh, against God, this hopeless, alienated condition we are in. Remember, without hope and without God in the world, we're talking about the hope of the gospel coming here, is that we once were without hope and without God in the world. This hopeless, alienated condition we are all in in our B.C. days. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Before the gospel which reconciles us. Now, it's really unique, this word in the Greek, and our best word is reconciled. It's a beautiful word the Apostle Paul uses very rarely, and it's very rarely found in Greek writing and even in secular writings. This word is just unique. I think it's so profound, that it, just, it just doesn't happen much, and so it's not used. But Paul here, very specifically, it's very neat because he talks about uh, in, in the scriptures, rifle, red, and Romans about redeemed through the blood. So there's all these other words. But here uniquely, especially in Colossians, he uses this word reconciled in the Greek, which is unique, like I said, maybe only about three times in scripture used. And we're going to look at those three, three scriptures. And, and like I said, in, in my research through Strong's Exhaustive Concordance said they didn't find it not only in the, in the New Testament more than these three times, but not in the Old Testament that they translated in Greek. This, this Greek word isn't used, and it wasn't found in, in just other Greek writing to be used. So it's a, I think it's a beautiful word that is saved for this moment, where Paul says, this is what's happened in the good news of the hope of the gospel. You were once alienated, but now you are reconciled. And so it's, it's, beautiful, it's a beautiful, long word, apakala. That's so, you know, it's probably the best I could say it, but it's beautiful to completely bring back into a former state of harmony. I mean, it just has this complete work of harmony where you were once without hope, you now are so full of hope of what the gospel has done in you. You were once alienated, but now you're reconciled. And these are the other places used only once in Ephesians 2.16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Remember in our verse, the, hostile, the hostility in our minds, killing the hostility, that alienation, that hostile in mind now reconciled fully uh, you know, to, to God through Jesus. So, and then the places he uses it, is in Colossians 1.20, which we looked at last week, and through him to reconcile to himself, that beautiful word of making peace by the blood of his cross. How did he do it? Through the blood of his cross. And this, again, is a very much repetitive of that, Colossians 1.22. He has now reconciled, rather than see, saying peace by the blood of the cross, he says, in his body of flesh, by his death. You know, we're going to dig into that some. In order to resent you. And then look at this condition now. Remember all those words we looked at about alienation, without hope, separated, you know, just all of that. I mean, so you see this beauty now, this shift into how has he reconciled us? How will we be presented uh, before the throne to you? Holy I don't know, this is a lot to receive, <laughs> you know. Uh, you, this is again presented, y'all, all you Colossians, can you fathom this? You're going to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Reconcile. This hostility has been killed. The unholy made holy, the full of blame, now blameless, the reproach gone above reproach that's like trying to just obliterate every little just 
above reproach, above any little squeak of the accuser of the brethren, Satan, to whine, crowd, anything. The glory of Christ and the hope of the gospel is just too great. It's to the reconciled beauty. Yeah. This reproach is gone. You're above reproach. Uh, digging into that, you know, disapproval, disappointment, just anything that God in Christ and you no longer sees that you're approved of you're pleased as Christ pleased I mean this came out in, in Reifel's scripture that he read for prayer the way Christ pleased the father he brings that justification uh, by faith in Jesus as the father's pleased with Jesus he's pleased with you I mean that's a lot to absorb this is the fullness of that of a restoration that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So put your name in there. He has reconciled you. It's you all. It was that church. It's our church. It's the churches. But it's those who are, have their faith in Jesus. So I put my name there. He has now reconciled you. It was kind of hard to write. Wow, dude, where am I at? <laughs> I was like, I gotta, I gotta receive this in order to present you. Bobby Barnett, really? Are you kidding? This is too much. Uh, write your name in there. Put your name in there. Holy. That's hurry. Blameless. Okay. That's, that's Jesus. Above reproach. So put your name in there. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And then the how of that. How are we reconciled? How does he, well, the words he uses here, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death you know jesus was a real human body greeks had all kinds of mythologies they had gods came down and in the form of man they weren't really a human body but they appeared as you know and so and and, and the greeks still believe that and they would kind of mix that in with their faith but this body you know the, the, paul's correcting he was going to in these coming chapters a lot of uh, false teaching and, and how he does that and but here he's establishing who jesus is and he says in his body of flesh like he was a real human he wasn't just you know and so all this god of who jesus was that he mentioned in uh, 5 uh, 15 through 20 he's like he came in the flesh his physical body he's really bringing that out here you don't just put in a phrase like that in his body of flesh for no reason it's there his physical body by his death so when he had talked about previous, he's reconciled by the blood of the, of the cross. You see that death on the cross, the physical body of Jesus was what brought all of this reconciliation. Whew. Once alienated, reconciled. So he gets into this passage now. We're going to leap kind of towards the end. We're going to bring in the, the suffering aspect later. But the second point is the hope of glory. So he mentioned the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. Um, it's something that is, is futuristic in part uh, because hope is always something futuristic. You say, well, don't we have all that now? That presenting of us before is both now and not yet. It's both in part now and in full on that day that we're presented before him. So it's like, do we have it? Do we not? It's like, but hope, in Romans 8, 24 explains this, hope that is seen is not hope why would you hope for something that you have fully seen fully realized so there's an aspect of the of the gospel that he's planting within him you have this now in christ and we also are going to have it fully when we're presented before him so when he gets to the hope of the glory there's this same aspect there and in colossians 1 27 through 29 we read to them god chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery. If you like mysteries, here's some riches of something that was hidden. Mysteries are hidden. Something was hidden all throughout Scripture. They had ideas of some things, but it was fully this mystery. Paul was uniquely called by God to reveal. So what is that, that mystery, he says? That glory of that mystery, the fullness of this glory of this mystery, what is it? And he says, it's Christ in you. You Gentiles! <laughs> Christ in you! The hope of glory, that's what we're talking about, the hope. 
There, there was this future hope in the glory of the gospel that was revealed, this hope of the glory now, that was so glorious, so rich, that people hadn't really seen how rich it is. And you know it's going to get richer and richer. I mean, there's things that we haven't been able to think or imagine all that God has prepared for those who love him. There's still a bunch more, but this was uniquely revealed. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you Colossians, you little tiny, little podunk little church there in this town I haven't even been to and haven't even visited and haven't met you guys face to face. In you, he reveals this. <laughs> this, this mystery, Christ is in you. Now, you've got to put that Christ who is there. You know, uh, the, this Christ who is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation through him. I mean, what he had just said in those previous... He, that Christ, is in you. This is a very intimate saying. Uh, you know, you're alienated, reconciled, this hope of the gospel, and then this hope of glory. It's like a whole nother level of intimacy of what Christ has done, that Christ is in you the hope of glory him we proclaim warning everyone teaching everyone with wisdom that we may present everyone mature in christ what is this this mystery he's fully talking about i want to dig into it a little bit as i said christ in you we sing about it's not i you know but christ through me you know all everything that's done we sing this we say this we might be aware of it uh, but just re refreshing and re reminding ourselves of this it says um and and i want to look at this mystery and a lot of people say well the mystery is that gentiles would be saved just you know and included in the commonwealth of of what god had promised to israel all would be available and paul is uniquely doing that so that is in part uh what this hope of glory is but i want to say that it's more and sam storms in his book and the devotions we did this last week he kind of brings out that it's more and uh i want to look at that this the riches of his glory, what is it? How much is it? Is Paul just saying uh, to make known among the Gentiles salvation, that salvation has come to the Gentiles? Is that the mystery, that Gentiles would be saved? And I want to say yes in part, but no. Paul isn't just saying that. He's saying the scriptures that come about of this full salvation were coming to the Gentiles like Simeon testified. So Simeon could see that. I want to show that that's not necessarily a mystery. Like you see that through scripture, that the light uh, would come to the Gentiles, that salvation would come to the Gentiles. You can kind of see that, and a lot of people did, and Simeon saw it. Simeon is the one that got to hold baby Jesus when they brought Jesus to the temple, and Simeon himself quoted this in Luke 2, 29 through 20, 32. He said, Lord... He was old and he had waited there in the temple and now they bring in Jesus and he knows what's going on. It's by the Holy Spirit, it says. He had been waiting there all along and this couple brings in this little boy like they always did uh, to present him before the Lord and uh, a firstborn son and he's like, I know who this is. Give me that baby. Let me, let me hold that baby. And he says this over Jesus. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation. Look at a little baby saying this. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is a, a Jewish man, you know, saying, I see this in Isaiah. I see what Isaiah said, that Jesus would bring salvation to the Gentiles. So that's not necessarily the mystery that Paul unique. So if it wasn't that. What was it? Paul says in, in Colossians 1.25, uh, uh, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, the all Gentile Colossians, us today, uh, to make the word of God fully known. There was something that Paul revealed, this mystery, to make the word of God fully known. And what was that mystery? Was it just that the Gentile nations would be saved? No. It was more than that. It was that they would be fellow citizens. And this, to, to, to get into this and, and what it is, uh, we can leap to Ephesians. In Ephesians, Colossians, you know, the Apostle Paul is saying a lot of things similar. In Ephesians 2.18, he said this, So you are no longer strangers and aliens. Not that alien, you're no longer, but you are fellow citizens. Now, this fellow citizenship is huge. The 
Israel didn't see that coming. Gentiles, fellow citizens, uh, this is a much more richer of the hope of the glory than we ever imagined. And Paul is saying that. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In another place in Ephesians 3, he's going to go on say, to reveal this mystery. He says, this mystery, Ephesians 3, 6, this mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. This is talking inheritance here, heirs in what was promised uh, to Israel, now to us. Gentiles, fellow citizens, now fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel is the hope of glory and the mystery is not just Gentiles will be saved, but Gentiles will have full citizenship rights full he's telling these colossian heathens this who were without god without hope in the world without and separated from the promises of god they weren't aware of the promises of god that was uniquely uh, given to israel and the jewish people and now it's not only revealed to them the salvation come to them but their fellow so this where he's saying in ephesians 3 6 this mystery members of the same body he had described that back in ephesians 2 15 he says that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. No longer Jew and Jew, I'll make one new man. You Gentiles are fellow citizens and fellow heirs. Can you believe that? I don't think Paul hardly can when he's telling them this. And it's just too much. So making peace. That's the reconciliation. It's like one whole new thing. It's one whole new mystery that had been hidden. Gentiles and Jews, one whole, God was after the whole world. Don't you tell, like making them one, one new man. So the riches of his glory is much richer than, than anyone had really seen. And Paul goes on to pray in Ephesians 3, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, you being rooted and grounded in love, strengthened, to be strengthened, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This mystery was just like surpassing knowledge. It was mind-blowing, that you may be filled with all the fullness of, of God. So the, the mystery is Christ in you. And remember in, in Colossians 1.19 that in Christ, the fullness of God dwelt? He had just said that. And now he's saying, and Christ, in whom the fullness of God dwelt, dwells in you. That's the hope. The hope of the glory uh, is just, uh, it's, it's, sometimes it's overwhelming. So we have all this great hope, hope in the gospel. We have this hope of glory. And I don't know if, if you were fans at all of the, of the Lord of the Rings, but they have this trilogy, and there's a lot of trilogies. And you always have this first one, the, the Lord of the Rings did, the Fellowship of the Ring coming together so great and you have the end one the return of the king very much symbolizing the return of christ and and all of these things and the coming together and it's so great but there's this real big long middle one that's called the two towers and it's this war and this battle and this uh, dredging down i can't even hardly stand it i mean like going through it it's just like oh you know i love the coming together but then it all kind of went through these battles and falls apart and goes through all this and just muck and mud but then in the end it's the return of the king and just it's so beautiful the the summation and that's where we're at now we're in the middle we're in the two towers and i don't like it i like the hope of the gospel our our future hope and our hope of glory and all these things i've told you but paul puts in this 124 i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Ah, this doesn't sound real hopeful. I like to start squirming. Sufferings. In 129, he says, for this I toil. That's not even a nice word. Uh, toil and struggle. Um, so he's talking about suffering and toiling and struggling. This is that middle, that middle life we're living in now. And I want to say that there's two things that suffering do does very uniquely and in this passage uniquely uh, the apostle brings out uh, one is that intimacy he, he's talking in a very intimate 
place here, all through here. Christ in you. You can't get any more intimate than that. Not with you, not beside you, not behind you and for you, but, but like so intimate, he's cleansed you and, and made you holy. He can move inside of you. There's just no more intimacy than that. So when he's talking about suffering, he's continuing that same theme of, of, of intimacy that in a sense, only suffering brings out. Only to suffer with someone a lot, through hardships. And like Paul says, it's toil and it's struggling. And yet, it's with all of his energy that powerfully works within me. You see this like, it's toil, it's struggle. And, but it's powerful because his power is working through me. And there's this interesting thing only found within Christianity where somebody could say where he started out our text, I rejoice, grateful in my suffering. How can that even be achieved? And when we were with Nancy, Odie, this last week, and Dana, and Dana was weeping and groaning and moaning and uh, uh, just on the body of her dad. And Nancy was standing there, we were processing all this, and Rifle and Shippen came with me, and, and Shippen got down there with her, and they wept and they cried. And we were, just went through this process, and somewhere in there, you know, in this whole process of this day, Dana said, it's so strange. I can't explain it. She's weeping and groaning and moaning with weeping. Uh, her father that she was close to and so close to, death is now separating him. She's trying to touch his body, and it's stiffening and growing cold, and all these things are happening. And she says, but I, I can't explain it. It's so strange. I feel joy. To even say that on the day in the midst of this is just so profound. You're just like, that's exactly what I've been studying over in this Colossians this week. And it's over and over again in Paul's. There's this intimacy that you're with somebody, suffering with them, weeping with them, groaning with them. And then they can turn and say something like that. It's beyond understanding and knowledge. I'm telling you, it's an intimacy that is, 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 is profoundly intimate. And suffering does that like nothing else. The closeness of intimacy in our suffering as we walk with one another through suffering, sharing our deepest wounds. We share them with Christ, yes. We go to Christ, but we share them with other believers who have Christ in them. So in this intimacy, I want us to try to grasp or see to some degree, and I think the best way maybe I can do this, because I've read books and chapters and pages and commentaries on Paul saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and he goes on to say, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, which the commentaries go berserk over that, for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, I want to get for the sake of the body is church, so filling up Christ's afflictions sounds egotistically strange like Christ already filled up all suffering you know and he did so how what is Paul talking about here and the easiest explanation I'm going to say is when Paul met Jesus Saul of Tarsus on that Damascus road and, and do you remember what Jesus said Saul Saul what you see the intimacy there Christ wasn't suffering the body was paul was ravaging the church he was dragging people to jail and prison but what does jesus say he's still suffering he's standing there in his glorified body saying you're persecuting me this is the intimacy i want you to see in suffering that when his body suffers and when you undergo suffering when you battle in darkness when you battle with whatever comes against you in whatever means christ is most intimately with you and when you get with somebody in their suffering you share in that jesus is in you and the body is that intimate in and through our sufferings now so we may be in the two towers we may be in that middle ground but in our suffering one of the reasons i mean it's hard to, to figure out the reasons of Christ leaving us in so much battle and muck and mud and going through uh, persecutions and tribulations and trials and all that is in this world is because it makes us closer together. And you know what it does? Dependent upon Christ and dependent upon one another, it changes us. It transforms us. 
And what it's doing, the Apostle Paul says in this closing verse, is he says it brings us to a maturity, a maturity in him. That we may present everyone, that's the body of Christ, y'all, the church, Colossians, that we present everyone, he's really including everyone there, all believers who are in Christ, that we may one day present them what? Mature. So there's this grown-up state that only suffering can produce in you. Nothing else. He allows it to mature you and grow you up. And you know people that are sometimes either in their younger days have been through a lot, middle-aged days, or in their older days, they've been through a lot. They have a maturity that could come no other way than through the hardships and suffering that they've endured throughout their life. And that's what Paul's saying. These sufferings not only are bringing the body of Christ intimate, Paul's saying, they're so, I'm so intimate with them you know what our main verse was? I believe D read it in Galatians 2.20. Did you read the Galatians 2.20? D did. I have been crucified with Christ. We read it in the Amplified, which broke down what that meant. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's saying that's, that's intimacy there. I have been crucified with Christ. There's a crucifixion there and what that means. It's not I who live. So there's this you know, intimacy of suffering. I, you know, in the Amplified brought that. I suffer with Christ. So there's a continuation of Christ suffering through his body. If you smash your finger, I bet you all of those nerves go run upright to the head. And he had just explained Christ is the head and you're the body. So he feels our struggles, our deepest wounds and pains. And it's, it's a very intimate thing, but it's a very life-changing thing. Paul's ministry of the gospel for the sake of the body of Christ, the church, requires suffering romans 5 3 through 5 shows this process not only that we this process of maturity but we rejoice in our sufferings how could you rejoice how did paul rejoice in his suffering because you know something you know something you know that suffering and really only suffering in some senses produces endurance you have to be tested and suffering tests you. You're going to believe, no, it's too hard. The sun, the withering, the tribulation, I'm going to wither up and die. Or are you going to hold fast to the hope of the gospel? Are you going to hold fast? Or, you know, and so it, it produces endurance. So it produces these good things. And what does endurance, perseverance produce? Character. You know, people who have gone through suffering have character. They have something deep about them. They have deep waters that keep them through things. And you're like, that person's still going. That person's still believing. Look at Judy homebound and you go talk to her about the gospel and her hope and being bedridden go talk to my brother tay struggling with parkinson's since in his early 40s his perseverance they got some deep waters they got some character that's been built through suffering and all of us that are older that have gone through death loss of a child uh persecutions and trials it's it's it's, a, it's a something that's transformed you and made you more Christ-like. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. You want to hear from James? Over and over again, the apostles tell us in the scriptures that afflictions are a work that bring joyful satisfaction that nothing else could bring. I've walked with some of you in, through deep things and, and, and aware of things, and, and it's a joy. Because it's an intimacy, an intimacy in prayer of how we can pray for one another because we know Christ who is the head and that we are his body. That toil, sometimes that extremely hard, grinding it out little by little. The Apostle Paul knew that. I toil. That doesn't sound like the great Apostle Paul I know. I toil for you. And then struggling. You think that's a real kind word? I'm struggling for you. Striving, it means, in the face of difficulty, in the face of enemies, in the face of punishing resistance. That's what that word means. Toil, struggling, these are these words there. Even with this suffering work, it's working toward us to a maturity. To we will be pretty dang tough soldiers for Jesus. We've been through a few battles. We're aware of the battles coming up. 
And when we see people going through those battles, we can relate. And we know and we can help one another through our sufferings, through this Twin Towers middle phase of one glory to another glory. We're going through some mud. It's raining in the Philippines in World War II. It's raining in the mud-drenched grounds of the battle. And we're pulling each other through the mud. And it's toil. It's slow. Looks like you ain't making no progress. You ever hear that? And the person you're dragging through ain't making no progress. You're on retreat. You're retreating going, you know, let's know that Jesus, we can rejoice. And it's a thrilling proposal that brings meaning to our suffering in our life. We're not just suffering for suffering's sake. We're not just sadomasochist, you know, well, let's go make ourselves suffer. We're suffering with purpose. There's meaning in our suffering. Suffering like Jesus, you know how much meaning was in Jesus' suffering death? It's everything in the hope of the gospel. And we're being crucified with him. We're in that kind of intimacy. Suffering like that of Christ Jesus, who is righteous and good. Suffering to redeem a people who are held savagely captive by sin. And what does he do? He joyfully sacrifices himself for us. Hebrews 12 talks about he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him he saw your redemption your reconciliation he saw you were once alienated and with joy it says that's how you do it you see what the suffering is producing in you you see the intimacy that you have with christ and so it doesn't bother me that the apostle paul said i'm filling up the sufferings of christ for his body of the church because as the church suffers and i'm a part of that church jesus is suffering and he takes it very intimately so that we will be beyond reproach one day as he presents us before all of god father son and holy spirit presented on that glorious day mature in christ holy blameless and beyond reproach his beautiful church his bride that he has died for and purchased amen that's the hope of the gospel that's the hope of glory and that's our hope through suffering amen glory to god we're gonna take the lord's supper together and everybody's welcome at this table who's put their faith in jesus christ and we want you to come and take this and at the bottom is the bread so it's a dual cup of the fruit of the vine and the bread at the bottom and please take it back to your seat and remain there and we'll partake together with prayer amen please come bread represents the body the physical body of Jesus that was offered up as the lamb of God for the sins of the world 
he offered up his body willfully, willingly, and joyfully because he saw you. And as we partake today, we remember his death until he returns. Let us be thankful in our hearts for Jesus who gave his physical body up upon that cross and died for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father for it. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat. Let us partake together. took the cup said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood <coughs> given for you for the remission of sins take and drink of it and when you do this remember my death until I come let us partake of the cup together thank you father for the gift of your son Whew. Thank you, Jesus, for you willingly being a substitute in our place that we might become the righteousness of God in you, Jesus. We give you praise. Anoint our hearts. We give you praise in this closing song that reveals the mystery, the mystery of the Lord of the universe. Look and see. Help us, Lord, to look and see this Lord of the universe who would be nailed to that tree for us. Open our eyes, open our hearts, anoint our hearts to sing and give praise to Jesus, your son, Father. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. Go and be a light in this dark world and love one another in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 